Welcome to the Bridge in the Gap podcast, where our mission is to encourage, equip, and empower every woman on her faith journey with Jesus Christ. Today, we are honored to hear from lawyer and CEO, Melissa Coleman, as she has a conversation with our podcast host, McKelty Bloom. In this episode, you will hear about Melissa's experiences with offense in a highly offendable field and how you can grow toward becoming an unoffendable leader. Melissa does an amazing job sharing about the peace and freedom you can find in a relationship with Jesus. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, let's just jump on into it. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. It is a huge honor to have you. And, you know, we were joking a little bit before we started of how it's been a long time coming that we've been trying to <laughs> make this work, but life life is crazy and sometimes yeah. gets in the way, but it is a complete honor to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. So appreciate it. Really fun. Love being here. Well, you came on my radar because you led a workshop at our Sisterhood Leadership Retreat, and it was fantastic. I mean, I wasn't able to make it, but I I think I heard the most about your workshop from anyone that I talked to about how much people appreciated the content and how it deeply resonated with a lot of people who are struggling in this area. We're talking today about, you know, being unoffendable and what that means. And I think just being offended, being offended is such a hot topic and just a hot Mm -hmm. term right now. Everyone's got something to be offended by. Um, But what does it mean to, to look at it in a kingdom way in, in being Christians? And so I'm super excited to jump in today and talk about it. But before we get doing, would you mind just introducing yourselves for our listeners? Sure. I'm Melissa Coleman. Um, I am uh, from Minnesota and I live um, with my husband and three of my kids right now. Two, I have three um, adult kids and two kids that are teens. And yeah, I've been practicing law since 1998. <laughs> so I think that's about 25 ish years, <laughs> something like that. Um, and yeah, I just was kind of rocked uh, a few years ago when the Lord started to answer a prayer in a very different way than I expected and ended up downloading some of these, um, you know, just understandings of um, the, the power and the usefulness. Um, and I'll even say the buying power of, of his mercy. And so that created, um, uh, that ended up leading into a teaching that I'd never had expected to, Mm. um, share with others. It was just for me. And, um, yeah, so it turns out it's for other people too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So how did that start to get on your radar where you're like, okay, I said this prayer, about like, okay, God, make me unoffendable. You know, I don't want to carry this with me. And then how did it all of a sudden get to a point where you're leading a workshop on it and on a podcast talking about it? You know, what, what happened to make it be like, oh, there are other people that need this too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It started with me. It was just for me. And I just, um, I began to share it with other people and my friends were like, this is this is rocking our world too. You need to share this. Mm. And I just started getting invited to different groups, but in the very beginning, um, you know, you referenced it. Like I, I had prayed and I said, God, I want you to make me unoffendable. Like I want you to help me have thicker skin. And so that I don't get 
you know, yeah, offended and hurt and resentful and all these ugly things. And he answered that prayer in such a different way. Um, and for about a month, this was back in, I think it was 2020. Um, he just kept downloading more understanding about um, his mercy to me. And I started to write it down. And as I was writing it down, people kept calling me out of the blue and saying, um, Hey, I feel like the Lord's told me to call you and that, you know, okay, well, what's going on? And like, we got to the point where I'm like, okay, I know what you're like, but I'm like, what's going on? You know, and they would tell me what's going on. And inevitably this was just an on point thing for them. Um, And then the Lord would show me another aspect of it. And another person would call and just, this just kept happening. It was like crazy. I would spend quite a bit of time um, just taking phone calls, knowing that this person was in need of this, um, this teaching. And it always started out with, I know we haven't talked in forever, but I felt the Lord call you. (laughs) So that's kind of how we got here today. Yeah. Yeah. And what does it mean? I mean, just as broad as it can be, what does it mean to be unoffendable? You know, what has, what has it looked like for you to walk through that, to be like, no, I'm going to be unoffendable. What are kind of the big talking points that you like to teach on? That's a big question. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. (laughs) It doesn't mean thicker skin. Mm. It doesn't mean that I am so tough that other people can't affect me. In fact, it's probably the opposite. It means that I, um, I see and acknowledge the wounds and the offenses, and I don't brush them under the rug. I don't um, try to act like I am um, tough and uh, that shouldn't have affected me. Um, mm. To the contrary, I admit readily, yep, that one hurt. And mm. I identify what it is that somebody did to me that was different than how, how they treated me. That was different how they would want to be treated. Cause that's the, that's the standard that the Bible lays out how we're to treat each other mm-hmm. is how the person that we're interacting with would want to be with, would want to be treated. And whenever somebody treats us less than they themselves would want to be treated, they're really committing injustice against us according to the biblical standards. Mm. But, you know, we've become so accustomed not being treated according to that standard. I think there's this sense that we're not worthy to be treated according to that standard because um, mm. we've been so knocked down. Um, I, I talk to people like, um, you know, we are sovereign beings. Um, I give this kind of image, like if you can imagine like we're a sovereign garden or you, you like a country is a sovereign entity and a country is, um, is required to control its borders and a country decides who comes in, who doesn't come in. If they get to come in, um, how long do they get to stay? How far do they get to come in? When they're in, do they get to eat some of our of our fruit and enjoy, you know, our goods, or do they uh, do they not? Um, and so, as a sovereign entity, we need to be wise and a good steward of our sovereign garden. Well, mm. whenever someone commits an injustice against us, I believe it's an illegal entry into our sovereign dignity and to our being, and um, that causes problems and we need to take our power back and we need to reestablish our strong borders. But in order to do that, we have to acknowledge that this was an offense, this hurt. And, um, and then the Lord gave me this whole kind of process of a trial in the heavenly courts to, to deal with that. And so that we can not let it fester, not uh, let it sink in or cause an infection. People think, oh, time heals all wounds. I just think that's not true. I think time buries things 
And I think the enemy loves to bring them back around at the most mm. um, inopportune time for us to remind us when something similar comes about, oh, remember way back when, and then it comes up to the surface again, or it just kind of slowly diminishes us and, and it impacts our self-esteem, or it creates a situation where we're better or we're angry or we're fearful or we're resentful because we have allowed these things to sort of fester. Mm-hmm. And the Lord doesn't want us to be living like that. He wants us to be free. He wants us to be bold and confident and free from um, bitterness and fear and resentment and all of the baggage that, frankly, most people in the world carry around with them every day. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely just can impact you in so many ways, you know, emotionally and internally. And you can tell, I feel like when you're talking to someone, if they're holding on to a lot of bitterness, like if they have a lot of unforgiveness in their heart and you talk about the difference between looking good on the outside and being good on the inside. So how can other people, like the way they treat us affect us on the inside? Yeah. And, and to your point on just your last point too, um, I serve a lot of churches and one of the things that I tell pastors well, and we serve them legally. And one of the things I tell pastors is when you bring new people in that are coming from other churches, you should probably do mercy trials with them to ensure that they're not, because they look great. You know, they're mm-hmm. always the perfect candidate and it's like, Oh, everybody's excited. They're going to be on board. Not knowing that on the inside, they're bringing all this baggage from their mm-hmm. old experience and they're, it's going to impact um, this experience, if you don't deal with it, if you don't get rid mm. of it, right? So what I mean when I say looking good on the outside versus being good on the inside is, you know, and this was this is an ancient problem. Jesus talked about the whitewashed tomb, you know, where people were pretty white, sanded, painted on the on the outside, the walls, but then on the inside there was like death and rot. And mm. so often in our culture we are putting on a presentation and trying to convince people that we are one way, but when in the reality, we got stuff going on, junk on the inside. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it festers and you see people, you know, living a double life, presenting themselves one way, especially in the church, (laughs) unfortunately, and then coming home to their family and they're just not the same person when they're not putting up that facade. So yeah, left unchecked, these offenses fester and, and we, and we can like become victim to the injustice that's committed to us, that's committed against us and it affects how we treat other people. Um, and it definitely steals our peace. Yeah. Yeah. Now you've talked a little bit, said a few times like mercy trials and things like that and how you see it kind of as like a court system. So can you walk me through that of like, what does it mean to utilize God's powerful currency of mercy um, as like to this transaction business in the heavenly courts? Can you just kind of share more about that? Sure. Well, as you know, as believers, we understand that every, um, every sin creates a debt that has to be paid, right? That's why Jesus came to pay the debt that we could never pay. Um, and so every injustice, likewise being a sin, also creates a debt. And we tend to feel like when somebody commits an injustice against us, you know, we, we kind of we get angry and self-justified and we want them to pay. We want them to make it right. But like my Kelty, let's say you said something um, defaming against me and it, it was really hurtful. Even if you said, sorry, that's not going to make me whole, right? So how do we pay for that? 
I believe there's a difference in the value of the currency of my mercy versus Jesus's mercy. What I mean by that is um, there are some um, offenses, some injustices that, that cannot muster it up to forgive completely from my heart. Like mm. I can say, I forgive them. I can try. I mean, like I'm trying to be a good Christian. I can ask, I can beg God, help me, please. This is driving me nuts. Help me to forgive this person. But when I hear their name, if I see them, I there's residue, you know, there's just something yeah. in my heart. It's not a clean slate. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, but the Bible says that we need to fully forgive from our hearts. So I, I'm like, God, how do we do that? And um, one of the things I showed that I believe that the Lord has shown me is that, you know, our mercy is sin soiled. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, but we have access to Jesus's mercy when, I mean, that's what he died for. That's what he shed his blood for. Um, you know, he has given us access to his mercy anytime. That's the gospel, right? Our, our sins can be forgiven. Other people's sins can be forgiven. And the value of the currency of the Lord's mercy is can pay for anything, any injustice. Um, and so really what we're doing is we're applying Jesus's mercy to pay for those debts that were created when people committed injustices against us. And when we do that, um, it, it completely pays for that debt. And we make the choice to relinquish our claim on that injustice. Mm. It's finished. We say, I am transferring jurisdiction to you. That offender is going to have to deal with you but they're not mm -hmm. going to have to deal with me anymore. They don't owe me anything. Mm -hmm. I'm going to look to heaven to make me whole. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to relinquish my claim on those injustices that were committed mm -hmm. against me. And that's where people can just get free. They just, it, I have met countless people who have tried for decades to forgive someone who has offended them horribly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether it was a, a sexual abuse. I mean, um, yeah, within, you know, I, I've worked with women who were sexually abused by their own fathers or uncles or brothers. Um, and they've worked for decades to try to forgive. And I've seen them go through this process. And instead of trying to forgive on their own efforts, they instead apply Jesus's mercy, the same mercy that was given to them when they got saved mm. and apply that mercy to pay for the sins that were, um, that were done against them. And it's just, it's like a completely different experience. It's transactional. Mm. It's it, they get free. And I, I can't tell you the number of people that have come back to me and said, this friend, my husband mm. committed adultery on me. He cheated on me. And I tried and tried and tried and tried and tried to forgive and I couldn't get there fully. And um, when, when I applied Jesus's mercy to pay for those sins and brought him mm. to the trial in the heavenly courts, it was a complete payment. I could relinquish my claim on that injustice. I could look to heaven to make me whole. And, I, and, and then the relationship could start again yeah. with that spouse. Yeah, that is so powerful. Like I'm just kind of sitting over here thinking of just how meaningful it is to in some ways, like take ourselves out of the situation because we are flawed. I mean, we're human We're we are never going to be perfect. We're never going to be able to do it, to do it right. in in some ways, and especially when it comes to unforgiveness and how, 
it just, that's such a powerful grip onto our lives. Yeah. Yeah, love this idea of saying, you know what, Jesus is mercy. Because I think we tangibly can think about that. We think about Jesus is mercy in our lives and we can tangibly hold that. But wow, what does it look like to put that same feeling, that same mercy onto someone else? Like yeah. that is huge. <laughs> and, and the thing is, you know, our flesh is like, you know, our, our sovereign garden has been damaged. You know, there's an illegal access and, and it hurts our pride. Right. And so yeah. we're like, but they don't deserve it. You know, they don't yeah. deserve that mercy. And, um, and that's what, that's what the Lord talks about in Matthew, the parable of the unforgiving servant. When he, you know, the, as you know, the, the, the master um, was taking account of his finances and he realized this servant owed him 10,000 bags of gold. So I did a little mm-hmm. research and it turns out 10,000 bags of gold at that time was worth 200,000 years worth of wages. Can you believe it? Totally unrepayable in a lifetime, 200,000 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. He begged for mercy. The master gave him mercy, but then he comes upon a peer who only owed him a hundred silver coins, which was a hundred days worth of wages. Mm -hmm. And he demanded, you pay me back what you owe me. And that, that fellow servant was like, I don't have it. Please give me mercy. Beg for mercy. And the first servant said, no, he threw, threw him into prison. Well, the other, you know, the other servants got wind of what happened. They brought it before the master and the master summoned that first servant and said, you are wicked. How could you throw him in prison and forget and refuse to extend mercy to him when I just canceled yeah. your debt, gave you mercy over 10,000 bags mm-hmm. of gold. Mm-hmm. And then he said that uh, he threw him into, into prison to be tormented. Okay. Until this debt could be repaid, which of course, 20,000 years of wages could never be repaid. Yeah. And so the principle is that, you know, we have a choice. We don't have to forgive. We don't have to um, relinquish our claim on that injustice, but it will be the same measure that was with others is going to be used to us because the Lord said in that parable, this is exactly how you will be treated. Yeah. If you don't forgive your brother and sister's sins from your heart. Yeah. And then that becomes really serious because I mean, I don't think, I mean, we can, we, we can imagine, you know, we often think, well, what that person did to me was so bad, you know, but when we're really, really honest about it, it was really about a hundred silver coins versus mm-hmm. the Lord forgiving our debt of 10,000 bags of gold. Right. Yeah. And so our pride rises up and we say, I don't, they don't, they don't deserve it. But when we really think about the choice that we're making, that becomes really serious, really fast. If the Lord is saying, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Who is a woman leader of excellence in your life? Nominate her for the Lund Leadership Award. Bridging the Gap believes all women are potential leaders, and it is our desire to honor women who lead with excellence in various areas, including ministry, marketplace, government, community, and family. The Lund Leadership Award was created to recognize individuals who demonstrate exceptional leadership and empower other women to step into leadership as well. The former Bridging the Gap director of 25 years, Carol Lund, is a beautiful example of this, and we are honored to have named the award after her in her legacy at Bridging the Gap. 
The award will continue to be presented annually at the Bridge in the Gap Leadership Conference. To learn more about nomination criteria and how you can nominate an amazing woman leader in your life, go to mnbtg.org slash Lund Leadership Award. The deadline for nominations is 11.59 p.m. on October 31st. Visit our website. Again, that's mnbtg.org slash Lund Leadership Award, or go to our app and submit your nomination today. I mean, there's so no other happens. sin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what happens at that point if a person doesn't extend mercy to that perpetrator? You know, I think there's this mindset of, well, just grow thicker skin or like, just don't be offended. You know, all these things. It's like, oh yeah, that's so easy. Yeah. <laughs> just to not be offended, you know, ignore the negative people and get on in your life. Like that's the messages that were given, but to your point, it is serious. And what happens if a person does not extend that mercy to someone? So I'm just going to read you from Matthew 18. It's after he threw the that first servant into um, the, the master threw that first servant into <clears throat> prison to be tortured by the jailers until his debt was repaid. Jesus said, "This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart." That's Matthew 18:35. And then in James 2.13, it says, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. For mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm, I'm just reading you what the word says. This isn't yeah. my doctrine. It gets really serious, really fast. And, um, and we, invite, we invite the tormentor torment us with hurtful feelings and um, insecurities and fears start to grow. And, but when we choose to use utilize the lord's mercy to pay for the debts that are owed to us and we relinquish our claim on those injustices we break off relationship with the accuser against that person and he no longer has access to us Hmm. it's amazing how what i could not do from my soul's perspective when i tried so hard to forgive someone Hmm. when i do that transaction and then when the enemy's access to me is cut off, I, my soul can heal and my mm-hmm. emotions can catch up with the reality that this person really owes me nothing. Yeah. It's different. It's just a different, it's a different thing when we apply Jesus's mercy. Yeah, it totally is. And one of the things that I really liked that you sent some responses back to me as we were planning for this um, and talking through, you know, questions and topic points. And one of the things was like, okay, how do we practically do this? You know, we're mm-hmm. talking about, okay, just let it go. And you started talking about uh, this process of, I'm a lawyer, so I'm going to advise sue them and not yeah. literally sue them, but sue them in the sense of, you know, start writing down all of their, all of the things that they've done. And so I'm wondering if you could just share more and elaborate yeah, yeah, on yeah. that process, because I just think that's really helpful for people that are actually very practical and need like an action step. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm like, hold them to account for their sins, sue them, <laughs> but don't sue them in the, in the earthly courts, sue them in the heavenly courts. Mm-hmm. And when you sue somebody, just like in the earthly courts, you have to create a charging document. And that's a really powerful thing to do when you sit down and you say, what did this person do to me? Um, some things might be like, you rejected me, you excluded me, you neglected me, you violated me, you abandoned me when I needed you, you lied to me, you lied about me, you misused 
my trust. You failed to protect me when you should have. You stole from me. You betrayed me. Falsely accused me. You took advantage of me. So many things that we do to each other. And sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's inadvertent. But the, but the, but the reality is it creates a wound, right? And mm-hmm. so it's really powerful to sit down. So I actually give people this, this little legal pad. Okay. You see lawyers walking around with the big version of this all the time, right? I've got about five on my desk. <laughs> and so now I say, okay, now flip it up with first page, which is blank. Now write down all of the names of the people. You know, when I'm doing the teaching, inevitably people start thinking about names and they write down all the names of the people that come to mind. And that list grows and grows and grows over the days ahead. Mm-hmm. Then put that list and choose the very worst offender. Okay. And then flip the page again. Well, I got to find a blank page <laughs> and write down that person's name at the top. And now write down all the charges and ask the Lord to help you articulate what those charges are. What did they do? What did they really do? Did they steal something from you? Did they steal your dignity or your sexual purity? Did they, um, did they violate your trust? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many things that we can write down. And, um, and then once we have all the charges, and this is called in the, in the natural courts, this is called a charging document. So you can't bring somebody into court and say, oh, you hurt my feelings. You know, you actually have to have the real specific charges because mm-hmm. um, a, a defendant cannot be convicted or um, acquitted of an offense that hasn't been specifically named in the charging document. So once they've done that, then I lead them in these prayers that I have in the back of the of the book. And there's a few sample prayers. So this is an example of a prayer that releases mercy over the perpetrators in my life. And, um, and I'll just give you an example of, boy, there's so many. Okay. So I was working with a lady whose husband beat her very badly uh, over the course of many years. And she I mean, beat her like broken bones, concussions, knocked her unconscious, you know, really bad. And um, she was in the process of getting a divorce, which was, um, you know, the right thing to do to get herself into a safe place. Um, And by the way, sometimes people have said to me, this just sounds like you're giving people second chances. And I'm like, no, because we're, we have to establish our strong borders and decide who is healthy to come in and who is not. So an abusive person has to stay out. Um, but anyway, so I let, uh, actually I, there was a group of young people in my, in my house and she had actually driven in from out of state to, uh, to do this trial, which I didn't even realize she was going to do that. And I didn't lead anybody in a trial. I just had all of the young people lead each other. And so they just, um, they let her in this trial. Okay. And, um, so they, they said, okay, repeat after me. And she said something to the effect of loving father and righteous judge. I summons my, my husband to the heavenly courts. And she named his name and she said, I charge you with, and she just went down the list, every single charge that he had, um, that he had done to her. And a lot of it was physical, but a lot of it was emotional. Um, it impacted the kids. It created, um, an atmosphere of fear. And, um, there was all sorts of things that she had realized as she, and the Holy spirit, um, we're really working out the charges and you can ask people for help too, to help, you know, to talk over the facts and it's not a time to lament and 
be emotional. It's really a time to just say, okay, let's, let's really try to get the charges accurate and let's try to get all the charges that we can so we don't have to haul them back into court later. Okay, so then she names the charges against him. And she says, you are guilty of these charges and you are deserving of punishment. However, because Jesus chose to extend mercy to me for a debt that I could never repay, I choose to extend the same mercy to you for your offenses against me. Mm. Jesus, I ask that you not count my husband's sins against him. I hereby break the power of condemnation off of you, husband. And I declare you acquitted, forgiven, and free. I also break every tie I've had with the accuser against you. Enemy, you no longer have power over me. You have no legal right to torment me. I will not be lured back in by you or commit double jeopardy. Father God, I now choose to partner with you, partner with heaven, and ask that you bless my husband. With When she did that, she something broke. And all the other young people in the room started to applaud and clap. It was like the gavel, the judge, you know, hit the gavel on the, on the bench and said, it is done. Mm. And her response was, I feel so light. Mm. I feel peace flooding into me. And I feel all that heaviness from all of these years lifted off of me. Yeah. And what she had done is she just transferred jurisdiction of that matter to Jesus and she took herself out of the picture. So Jesus could heal her because that wound wasn't continuing to fester in her. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the kind of thing that I get to do with people. And it just rocks me because the Lord wants us to be free. Um, he doesn't want us to be in relationship with the accuser against anyone, but that's what that's the natural flesh response because the reality is the enemy will try to lure us back in. Mm -hmm. He will try to remind us of those old hurts. And um, I was in a situation once where I had just done a trial. It was probably the most difficult trial that I've ever done. And I had to see that person the next day. And I, my mind was being flooded with all the reasons that I had to just hate him, you know, and I, you know, I know it doesn't sound very Christian, but it, I'm just being raw. I'm being really real. That's, that's the reality. Yeah. I really just yeah. loathed him. And um, my mind was being flooded with all the reasons that I had to hate him. And, and <clears throat> I just kept saying under my breath, I chose mercy yesterday, past tense. I chose mercy. I choose mercy today, present tense. And I am sticking with mercy, future tense. And I just kept repeating that under my breath. Okay. Um, this was the incredible thing about that is. That um, I, I I struggled with extreme anger and unforgiveness towards this person who had, he had hurt one of my kids um, for two years. I begged God, please help me forgive him, and I just couldn't muster it completely. And I saw trial, and then the next day I had to see him. Um, I, the enemy was trying to lure me back in, and I was like, no, I'm not taking the bait, you know. And I stuck with mercy. After that day, it was about four months later, and I saw this person out in public. And I walked by and I greeted him and his jaw dropped because he, everybody knew I had every reason to hate this guy. He, especially, mm-hmm. and, his, and it wasn't until I saw his reaction greeting that I remembered, oh, I'm supposed to hate this guy. Why am I doing greeting him? The Lord showed me mercy is the only way to get out of relationship with people who don't deserve to be in our lives. 
with people mm-hmm. who don't deserve any more of our higher mind space. Because mm-hmm. as long as we're in relationship with the accuser against that person, we're in relationship with that person. The enemy has access to us to keep tormenting us. But as soon as I cut it off and release mercy to be a complete payment for those injustices that he committed against my kid and consequently mm-hmm. against me as a mom, it completely broke off my relationship with him. I've mm-hmm. seen him many times since then, and I got nothing in my heart against him. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to invite him to my house for dinner because he's not somebody that deserves to be in my life. But to get out of relationship with him, I had to apply Jesus's mercy. And then my heart and mind space is free again. Wow. It's pretty cool. That's so cool because I mean, it goes against everything that we think to be true when we do that, because we feel if I can stay mad at them for so long, then I'm, you know, winning in some way. And at the same time though, we're getting mad of why does this person still affect me? Like it's this, you know, this little game we play. And I have so many of those situations, unfortunately, in my life that I wrestle through. But I love that perspective of when you are releasing it, when you are, you know, extending the mercy, you're able to take that next step. You're able to say, now you can no longer be in my life. But for some reason, you know, and that's something I've struggled with too. It's like, you feel like if you have this hold on them in some way, then you are providing justice. But how... How powerful is it when we can take a step back and say, you know, God can do more justice than we ever could in in that situation and to be able to completely release it, I think is incredible. And I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on, do you find that like, it's easier to walk through this, this unoffendability, this process in the like secular world, you know, in your, like your job and and work and just in the secular world versus like a faith-based community, you know, if there is a big offense that someone, you know, is a Christian, like it happens in church versus someone that, you know, isn't a Christian, like, is there one that feels more difficult or more hurtful than the other? It's a really good question. I hadn't thought about, but as you're talking Um, You know, people that don't know the Lord don't have a call to holiness or don't know the standards that are laid out for how we're supposed to treat each other. So for me, it's like kind of easier in some ways to release mercy over them um, because they don't know any better. They don't have the Lord in their life. Um, But in church, yeah, you you should have known better, man. You shouldn't have done that, you know. Um, But it's also hard in church, I think, because the church culture, it's just so easy to put up a facade. Mm -hmm. It's just so much easier to um, just put on a happy face and a pretty dress and some lipstick and we're all good. I would never hold an offense against you. I'm a Christian. Mm -hmm. Maloney, we do it all the time, you know, and we need to be honest about that so that um, we can be clean, as clean on the inside as we look pretty on the outside. So we're not that whitewashed tomb, right? Yeah. And I I just, I feel like that is one that I've heard a lot of people talk through and really struggle with where it's like someone hurts you on social media, you know, a friend that is just kind of like an ex, a friend that you don't see very often, you know, says something negative about you. It hurts, but 
when it's in your faith-based community and it's just like, but you know, Jesus, like that really Mm -hmm. stinks that that's how you're choosing to act or that's how you're choosing to treat me. Like for some reason it cuts deeper. And I think that sometimes there has to be more work in the realm of mercy and and just remembering that like exactly what you've been talking about is what mercy has been given to us. What has that meant to us? And it's the same for them. And Mm I just one final question that I'm just thinking of, and then we'll wrap up. But when do you need to actually say something to someone versus process it on your own? Well, um, first of all, I wouldn't, I, I'm, I'm going to push back on the, on the concept of processing it because I used to think it was just processing But now I really do believe that there are heavenly courts Mm -hmm. um, and people have had, you know, um, experiences where they've died and come back and visited heaven, have attested to the heavenly courts. Um, And there's a lot. Now I understand there's a lot of evidence in the Bible that there actually are heavenly courts. So I am a believer that um, when we are doing this, it is actually transacting something in the heavenly realm that we actually are going into the heavenly courts and doing this. Um, now, I think your question is, do we tell the person or not that we've done this? Yes. Yeah. It, it talks about so, in the Bible, like if you have an issue with someone, you bring it directly to them, you know? So, but sometimes right. I feel like maybe it isn't the best chance and something that we need to like deal with individually um, and not talk with them about. So yeah, that's kind of my question. Yeah. I mean, I think this is about cleaning up our own hearts and getting our hearts clean. And then we can authentically pray for that person. Um, That person that I referenced before that had hurt one of my kids, not going to not, I mean, it it would be wasted for me to say, Oh, guess what? I released Jesus's mercy over you. You'd be like, what? (laughs) And a lot of people are too, they're not even at that place where they can acknowledge that they did, that they need mercy. Right. Um, Or that they did something that was um, an injustice against us. But in some situations, I do think it's warranted to talk to the person about it. So I'll give you an example. There was a time where um, early on in this in this process, as the Lord was showing me this stuff, where he showed me I had been holding my husband in unforgiveness for like 20 years over something that was kind of a silly thing. But um, because I had allowed it to fester, it impacted our relationship and I had been inadvertently um, in certain, certain situations, setting traps for him, um, when all through, throughout, um, all of these years. Okay. I'll, I'll just briefly say he, he had left to go minister somewhere when I was really, really sick and, um, you know, uh, had the flu and vomiting and stuff like that. And we had three tiny little kid, little ones at the time. And, um, you know, he prayed and he was like, no, I really think the Lord is, you know, telling me to go. And I am like, I was livid. And I, um, you know, I tried the silent treatment for several days, but you know, you can't keep that up forever. <laughs> so eventually you're like, okay, we got to get on with life here. And so, you know, I just, but I never dealt with it. Right. And so it just buried. Well, every time I got sick after that, I would be like, are you going to take care of me? Are you going to leave? You haven't checked on me in hours. Um, I, I, I is the, are you going to take care of the kids? Is the house going to be a hot mess? Is anybody going to eat? you know, like super accusing. Um, I remember one time I actually, it actually got to this point. I remember years later asking him if I got really, really sick, like if I got like, if I was, or if I was in an accident or was a wheelchair and was, you know, quadriplegic or like if I got, you know, terminal cancer, would you 
would you leave me? I actually asked him that. I mean, I've been married for 26 years. I actually asked him that. And he's like, are you insane? What are you talking about? Where's this coming from? Mm. And that's when the Lord showed me, you have been holding him in unforgiveness for 20, at that time, it had been 20 years. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't want to admit it, but I had to admit it. Um, and so I, I did a trial and, um, and I released him. And then I did a trial against myself because mm. prolonged unforgiveness is a sin. Right. So I had to put myself in the defendant's seat, charge myself with that sin and release Jesus's mercy to pay for my sin of mother forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, COVID had started and we had gotten some food from a restaurant and I got food poisoning. And that night I was like, <laughs> you know, walking around my bedroom with a bucket, you know, just <laughs> loudly um, hurling. And I remember looking over at my husband and he's a, he was a Navy guy. He can sleep through anything. And he's sleeping mm. peacefully, not mm-hmm. even affected. And this is how I knew that something had transacted in my heart. I had joy in my heart because I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not bothering him. I'm so glad he's sleeping through all of this mm. noise. I'm so glad that he's at peace. And I knew that it had been, something had changed, that something had transacted. And ever since then, I've never, you know, I've never felt that again, mm-hmm. that the accusing you know, and, and that's just another point maybe to, to touch on is there's times where we need to bring ourselves into the heavenly courts, um, where we are dealing with so much condemnation because of a sin, you know, mm. that we have, and the enemy is like using that to continue to condemn us. And I, I always struggle with those verses and revelations because it says the enemy is always accusing us before, um, before God day and night. But then it says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. And then I go to Romans 8, where it says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm like, well, then why do I always feel accused and condemned? Mm. You know? And so the Lord showed me, well, you can use this process and put your, bring yourself into the heavenly courts. And so he showed me this, that, you know, in the earthly courts, there's only two plea options. When we're the defendant in court, we can only plead guilty or not, not guilty. But in the heavenly courts, we get this amazing third plea option. We can plead the blood of Jesus. Mm. And when we plead the blood of Jesus, our guilt or innocence is irrelevant because the blood of Jesus covers it all. Mm. And then that verse, um, the mirror translation of that Romans 8 verse says, now every bit of condemning evidence against us is canceled because the blood of Jesus pays for it all. And that's, it's the blood of Jesus that purchased that mercy for us. And so that is how um, we can cut off condemnation, the enemy's attempts to condemn us for those things that, he, you know, he's tormenting us, reminding us constantly of how we screwed up. Um, and it's, it's just been a, an amazing experience because it brings so much freedom when we're not in relationship with the accuser against others or against ourselves. Yeah. That is so good. I mean, I'm just like sitting here soaking it all up. Like that is so just everything you've said today is so helpful. Just as we switch our minds to, in a lot of ways, how can I make it not about me in a lot? Like, how can I make this a bigger thing? How can I make this understand that like there's a heavenly courts, there's more going on to this story. 
And when I have something that happens, when I am offended, when I am hurt, I can so easily give that to Jesus and, and to go through these steps. And so I just want to thank you for sharing all of this. And I just know that this is going to be helpful for so many people listening right now as they're just processing through. And I'm sure those of you listening, there have been names that have come to mind as Melissa has been talking of like, man, I'm still holding on to something against them, or I really need to let this go for myself. And um, I would just really encourage you to take a moment and to walk through this, plan some time tonight or this weekend when you have free time to write out those accusations and, and walk through that prayer or a model of that prayer and just to really let it go and to find the freedom. I know for myself, when I have forgiven somebody after I've held on to it for a while, I can completely attest that there is this joy. There is this Mm -hmm. like tangible peace that comes over you Mm -hmm. that you just feel like I can let it go. So Mm -hmm. um, I really encourage those of you to do that. But I mean, Melissa, thank you so much for for joining me. We'll have to do a part two or something because I feel like we could have talked about so many more things still. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'll just leave you with one more um, one more thing that the Lord showed me, which is don't wait. You know, as you said, don't wait because just like the constitution um, of the United States guarantees every defendant of the right to a speedy trial, none of us would want to be kept in bondage until the victim is ready to give us a trial, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, we would all be in jail all the time, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so we can't keep people in bondage um, while, while we're working on it. No, just, don't wait. Don't let it fester. Just apply Jesus's mercy. Relinquish your claim on those injustices. And I'll tell you what, my Kelty, and I'll and I and there's a lot of testimonies we don't have time to share today, but it doesn't just change us. It changes the other person. Mm. There have been so many th- times where an atmosphere has changed. The other person who had no idea what had transacted was completely changed. Mm. Um, I'll give one example real quick is there was a lady whose husband had been unfaithful. Um, she had tried so, so hard to forgive. She just thought she'd forgiven, but she knew she hadn't. Um, and when she did this trial, it was just complete. She drove home and there standing at the door of her house was her husband with tears streaming down his face. Mm. And he said to her, thank you for releasing me mm. from his sin, you know? And he, something, he knew, he knew. Wow. And, um, and there's been a lot of situations where relationships have been restored. Um, people who, um, maybe a father has abused them or something, and they've done this trial. And um, I'll get a text months later saying, you're not going to believe this, but he's back in my, in my life. Mm. Like he's changed. And, you know, with appropriate boundaries, but he's back in my life. We have a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing because the enemy works so hard to divide us, you mm-hmm. know? And I mean, you look at all the division in the world today. If, if, if a house divided amongst itself can't stand, a church divided amongst itself can't stand, a nation divided amongst itself can't stand, right? So why is the enemy bringing all this division to destroy us, right? Yeah. But this, yeah. this restores our unity. It, it restores the relationships. Mm. You know, um, where we can, where we're free now to enter into that relationship again with those people who deserve to be in our lives. 
Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, God is good. <laughs> it's powerful stuff. Like it's big stuff. And like you said, it's serious stuff. So I am yeah. just really glad that you said that prayer years ago and to be unoffendable and then have had the courage and the ability just to step out and teach other people about it too. So thank you so much. Yeah. 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 It's a blessing to live an authentic life, you mm-hmm. know, not a presentation driven life where there's something where there's stuff on the inside that's, you know, kind of rotting away. It's really a blessing yeah. to truly be authentic. Yeah. Agreed. Well, thank you again so much. Thanks, my Kelty. You have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Bridge in the Gap podcast. We were honored to hear from Melissa Coleman on living an unoffendable life. You can learn about Bridge in the Gap at mnbtg.org by downloading the Bridge in the Gap app through your app store or by following MNBTG on social media. We also invite you to take a moment to rate and review this podcast to help others find this resource as well. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to being with you next time on the Bridge in the Gap podcast.